0: Welcome to episode 51 of the Hail Married podcast. I'm A. Toves, and I'm joined by my husband, The Toves. We're excited to be back to recap our second championship season. Let's get started. We started off this season talking about how we needed to temper our expectations going into this year. We had a tough out-of-conference schedule, and the magic of last year was going to be almost impossible to recreate. But I think after looking back at the year, we can all safely say that this season exceeded our expectations.
1: Yeah, it it felt at times that there was more to this team than last year's team. And, you know, I think there was a lot of debate over whether which team was much more athletic, which team was better. You you, you kind of obviously your recency bias will always tell you, you know, it's like, oh, no, this team is better. And Mm -hmm. I think in many ways it was better it's just tough to kind of compare Frank's, right? Like, right. you had a pretty good Frank last year, but this season, I think Frank just was stellar in, in many ways that he just wasn't in 2021. Um, and they still were able to put together such a magical season because of it. But I think you've characterized it pretty well, and this is, where I, I think, where I want to set up for you is you've characterized this year as gritty and resilient.
0: Yeah, I mean, last year we used words like magical and historical and... It just seemed like there was so much adversity this year. There were so many injuries that it really just was more of like a tough, grinded out kind of season. And, you know, at the end of the day, we ended up 11-3, and which is just really one game off of where we ended up last year.
1: I mean, going into the bowl game, you win the bowl game and you match last year and it doesn't feel like it, but, you know, I think it's because of the fact that you actually were able to go through and, you know, do some things this year that that you didn't do last season that you weren't able to, you know, accomplish and maybe left a little unfulfilled. So I think it was a good exit from Conference USA and a good way for us to really move into a new conference as we kind of, you know, have new hopes for not only this season for Mm -hmm. everybody has, you know, new hopes for 2023, but I think... U.T.S.A. football in general is going to have some new hopes for what they hope to do in in the AAC when they get in there. Beginning, (laughs) I'll say July 1st, but technically it's going to be, you know, September when they they start playing in the new conference.
0: I mean, we said it before, it's a lot harder to play with a weight of expectations on your shoulders. And this year, you know, they had so many expectations. They had so much adversity. It just is really impressive to see what they were able to accomplish. And, you know, we still didn't accomplish all of our goals. So we've got a lot to look forward to in the AAC next season.
1: Yeah, and I think they just. we also talked about the fact that, you know, even though there were some things, there was adversity, um, like you referenced, there were things that set that up for us to get past them because of what this team did in 2021. Now, they didn't have the same, all the same cast of characters as they did but, Um, in 2021 but they had most of those characters and all of them played a part in you know making this season you know fantastic and i I know we kind of sound like you know we're trying to like get through this but it really is more of a i think just kind of reflecting and just realizing like you almost take a a a deep breath and go Mm -hmm. we did get through that season like you know it could have been much more disastrous than it really turned out to be
0: yeah absolutely all right well let's talk about some of those great moments for the season and then we can kind of get into how our season predictions played out or didn't and then we'll dig into kind of the offense defense and special teams and how they you know performed overall okay overall this season what are some of those top moments that stand out to you
1: it feels like you're going to have to dig back, you know, years, months, I guess you can say. I mean, it really is just months. But that first game against Houston, uh, you know, I think a lot of fans are still kind of mourning that loss. You know, the, right. the issues that occurred during that game. But the one thing that really stands out in that, and from that game to me is that last second drive. You know, essentially Frank Harris goes two for three. But puts him in positions to essentially tie the game. (laughs) You know, it was absolutely fantastic. And did it within... And, you know, now I'm, like, blanking on the amount of time. But I believe it was, like, 21 seconds. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: 21 seconds, you could end up 0-1 after, like, blowing this huge lead. But you were able to extend it into an overtime. Which began a string of overtime games. But still, you know, let's just kind of focus on the fact that... Frank, to me, set the stage for this is a different team and we're built differently in that game. And that's, that really stuck out to me as the season kind of wore on. Cause like, I felt like Houston, that Houston game set, I'd say set the foundation for how the season's going to go.
0: Well, it certainly set the foundation for how many um, last minute drives that we were going to have to either win the game or put ourselves in position to win the game. Um, but for me, I think the, the big moments that will stick out to me um this season is that North Texas game the first one that series from um getting the fourth down all the way really through to North Texas you know fumbling the kickoff return and us recovering and and winning the game like that though that series of I don't know maybe a minute and a half two minutes I think that it's just The thing that will always stick out in my mind, that incredible catch by Oscar Cardenas. Again, you know, it's like almost like the sequel to the drive from UAB. JT Clark's, you know, amazing catch in the end zone. Like that is just the thing that I think will stick with me the whole season.
1: Well, I felt like the Houston game set up that North Texas game and it was what should have happened. In, against Houston, which is right. should have put away Houston and, and win that game, and you know uh, you go back and forth, but yeah, I, I totally get the North Texas game. It was, it was homecoming. Um, there seemed to be a, a lot more of excitement in there because it, you know a lot of people show up for homecoming, so it, it certainly was it certainly was exciting, but I also felt like we've been here before, and this time we're actually gonna do it as mm-hmm. opposed to you know Houston where we didn't get it done,
0: right. Um of course we have to talk about the championship. I mean back-to-back champions. It's hard to win a championship once. It's hard to win it twice. It's really hard to do it back-to-back.
1: You know, we kind of hinted at it, you know, when we were doing the previews, we were like, "Oh, we're going to there's going to be a game they're going to drop that they shouldn't drop." Mm-hmm. And there were moments when that could have happened, but UTSA just even even when it was at its most injured still felt like head and shoulders above everything that Conference USA had to offer. Yeah. And some of those tight games, you know, you can go back and forth, and certainly I'll probably use it, and use that as an example in a different manner. But, you know, with some of those injuries and with some of the way that it changed how this team had to do certain things, I, you know, I, I guess it just never felt like Conference USA was going to be that much of a Mm dogfight you know I I felt like they could get through but I mean I I get your point it's like it's still difficult to actually come back and win this game again right so I you know I again I don't want to minimize that either it's just it felt like they were tested and they knew that they were better but they weren't going to be cocky about it they were just going to actually show on the field that they were better than everybody else
0: in addition to those kind of top moments we had some you know, moments that we probably wouldn't have predicted at the end of the season. Um, the one that sticks out to me the most is the um, army game when the official, I think we were, it was the coin toss going into overtime yeah. and the official flips the coin and hits Rashad in the head with the coin. I mean, like...
1: Okay, so we were there and I heard it, but I was like, that's weird. I, I It did not hit me that it the coin had hit somebody's helmet. Right. Worst, I felt like, you know, and I guess because you're not really, can't really tell what's going on from the distance away because we were in the end zone, so we really couldn't see um, the, the coin flip as well. But it felt like I thought I had hit, like, one of the army players. So I was like, that's weird. Like, you know, <laughs> you're, you're hitting the army player, but whatever. It's It just sticks out because it was like, we were in so many overtime games and... You know, at the beginning of so many other games, that never happened. So it's like the one time that you're like, "Eh, you know, let's let's see if we can win the coin toss. Let's see if we can, you know, either get on defense first or, you know, whatever, however trailer wants to play it. And then you hear this bing, and you're like, okay, this, what's going on here? Things are going awry here in West Point.
0: Yeah, uh, one of the other things that just kind of sticks out overall from the season to me is just the incredible plays by Brendan Brady that were not running back plays you know I think again he had some great moments in terms of like actually playing running back but when I think back to the season with Brendan Brady you think about the fact that he had two incredible punts how many times do you see a running back punt the ball he had a pass for a touchdown I mean He tackled someone on an interception. I mean, he pretty much was like, you mentioned before, the Swiss Army Knife. He kind of did it all this season.
1: The punts were Lucas Dean-esque. Yeah. And and the quality. (laughs) And I would say that pass was Frank Harris-esque. I mean, you're right. It was like, Brady's going out there and doing all these things, but it's like mimicking the talent of who he's actually replacing within those plays. Uh, so yeah, I mean it was good to see him, you know, glad to A he came back and then you know, that he was able to actually, you know, contribute in those ways.
0: Yeah. And contribute in ways that no one would have really anticipated at the beginning of the season because we'd seen him involved obviously in like a trick play before. Right. But um yeah, it just seemed like you know, I he had a really great season ended too soon obviously with the injury but I hope that he looks back on the season fondly and like remembers all those kind of interesting points.
1: Sure let's talk though about I think what I thought was you're going to be your number one memory from this season because you know I it, it felt like to me that that's the one that stuck out to you the most and got you all giddy from then on it was UAB Tate Sandel and his onside kick recovery.
0: Yeah absolutely we got to see kind of you know the the personality of Tate Sandell and Perhaps the future of uh, special teams. So, yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him in the 2023 season.
1: I'm telling you, everybody, she's gonna have a Sandell shirt on and wearing it at those games. Absolutely. She's not gonna be related to Sandell, but she's wearing it because she wants to see those theatrics.
0: I'll, I'll totally own it when somebody asks me if that's my kid. Whatever.
1: <laughs> um, certainly something that happened to us when we were in West Point. Um, yeah. So things kind of. I think tie together a little bit. But, you know, one thing that seems to tie together is just Frank and Oscar. We talked about Houston where there was a cat, You know, he makes a catch there. Makes another great catch against UNT. And then against UTEP, Frank fumbles. And the ball never hits the ground because it goes right to Oscar. Right. Right in Oscar's hands again. Those two, I think, I hope for next season that they have much more of a connection. Because or are able to see much more of their connection. Because... You just see both those, both of the players, know exactly where each is going to be, what they're going to do, and they both come through for each other. And so I, I you know, let's see what happens in twenty twenty three. But man, that that looks like it's going to be a fun, fun pairing.
0: Yeah, I mean, so let's kind of talk about some of the things that happened in terms of broken records in twenty twenty two. Because I think going into this season after last year, there were so many records broken, it just didn't seem like. Like, what are we going to strive for next year? And, you know, again, we still had a couple of things that came up. You know, if you start with special teams, the thing I think that'll stand out forever is Chris Carpenter with the first kickoff return for a touchdown. First time in program history. Um, Who knows if we'll ever get to see something like that again. And then, of course, you had, you know, Lucas Dean breaking his own record with um, a 76-yard punt. Jared Sackett coming out with um, the number of or career goals for career field goals made. <laughs> that was a that was a mouthful.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we we wondered what special teams was going to be like because mm-hmm. of the fact that you know there was a staff shakeups and certainly early on in our the podcast season we were talking about the fact that there were things awry because you know it seems like the coaching staff was off, but. You know, if we were if we were going to guess early on that it would turn out like this, I don't think we would have ever imagined it that way. Speaking of which, the offense offense came out gangbusters and mm-hmm. pretty much was gangbusters the entire year because they end up the most offensive yards in school history with six thousand six hundred sixty four, and then almost almost outscored last year's team for the most points scored in school history. Put up 515 this year. Last season's 516, which is the school record. You know, just uh, just fantastic job by everybody. And obviously the biggest reason why was because Frank Harris was outright and available for every single game once again.
0: And Frank, of course, just continues to break his own records. Because at this point, I think he owns almost all of them for a quarterback.
1: It, it was Coach Traylor coming in and essentially, I think, putting him in a position and Frank actually being able to hit the gym and, you know, get stronger. And I think you've seen more of more of the things that everybody thought he could do early on in his career. But now he actually does it because now he's stronger and is much more experienced than he was, you know, two, three years ago.
0: Yeah. And so Kari Franklin um, owns the single season record and receptions and touchdowns and continues to have the FBS record for the most passes caught or pass caught in 46 consecutive games.
1: You know, I, I, we talk about the big three, talk about how important they are, talk about how important Frank Harris is. I'll say this, we forget about, you know, some of the things that happened with some of the other players that didn't break records, but then you get Vordian Barnes kind of busting out. You've got, you know, Chris Carpenter having a very good game in the bowl game. So, you know, there, there's still some guys out there that are going to contribute, And it's gonna be fun to see if they're able to challenge some of these records. I don't know if it'll happen because you know it's tough to have as dynamic a quarterback as you have with Frank Harris and be able to break those records so you know let's see if we can find a pretty good quarterback after Frank and see if you know some of these guys actually challenge the record book.
0: Yeah and then you know on the defense side we saw Trey Moore break Marcus Davenport's single season record for tackles for loss recording 18 across this 14 game season um the previous record was seventeen point five. Um Clifford Chapman, we mentioned him before with a single season interception record at five um in the school record for most interceptions in a row. Um, Deadrian Taylor has a school record for three career interceptions returned for touchdowns. I mean, we could go on and on.
1: Yeah, these these guys are just getting put in pretty good positions and they're also pretty athletic again conference usa helps in this manner because there are some bad teams in there so you can stack up some stats but even so trey moore's the one that kind of sticks out to me here with that record because he was really a monster against you know a good troy team in the bowl and that's what helped propel him to break that record so certainly i think we see some big things coming for him in the future so hopefully you know we'll I'll knock on wood, but hopefully NIL doesn't come calling from another team. Right, and, and you know he decides he wants to take his talents elsewhere. So,
0: well, going into this season, one of the things that we were asking ourselves was, could Trailer avoid the three-year slump and sustain success? Um, as I've mentioned before, the third year of FBS for our previous coaches, both Coker and Wilson, were not um, the best, and we're kind of a turning point in their careers with UTSA. But um, fortunately, Trailer had a, a very different story and it looks like his trajectory with UTSA is, is on a very different track.
1: Yeah, and I, it's really the foundation that they've laid down. You know, with, I would say with Coker and with Wilson, you, we've talked about this a, a lot too. They, they never really built a, I think a culture mm-hmm. that you could really kind of point to. Whereas with trailer, he, from day one, has been talking about this culture and has really been, you know, pushing it. And because of it, we've also said it, you know, from time to time, lean into your culture. That's what you need to in times of adversity. And they did this season, and because of it, that's really why I think, you know, once again, you exceed expectations this year because of the fact that, you know, they leaned into it and they keep talking about it and they keep ingraining it. And even the new guys that come in are just like, we just want to come in and play for a coach that will listen to us. And you, know, you can see it on the field that there's, there's a joy. There's certainly something that they're wanting to play for.
0: Well, let's talk about what we actually got right coming into the season. All right. There were a couple of things. Not a lot, but there were a couple <laughs> of things. Um, the one thing that I really was hoping we would accomplish and we did was we finally beat the Texas trio, UTEP, North Texas, and Rice. For the first time and, and basically last attempt at that. So I think that was an accomplishment that it was kind of surprising we hadn't already achieved at some point, but um, you know, something that was good to finally see us, you know, dominate those Texas teams.
1: Well, North Texas was always the problem because North Texas was always why, you know, what spoiled the, right. the wins over all the Texas trio. So to get them beat and then, you know, mid-season and then, you know, you knew you could roll over Rice. It was like, well, we'll be able to roll over UTEP. But then there was that big UTEP comeback. And it happened on the same, same weekend as, you know, the previous year when, you know, had that letdown against North Texas. So it was certainly surprising. But, you know, again, you could tell UTSA was the better team and they just finished off UTEP. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess it's, it is cool to be the Texas trio. Um, but it was almost like, you know, it was just sort of, we finally got over that hump to right. say we're the best Texas team yeah, in G5. Absolutely. With and? those, with those threes, I, I, I guess I should say, because we, we did lose the Houston, so, um. But, and Texas, <laughs> but you
0: know,
1: whatever. Well, G5, so. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. But, uh. I- the way that we um, beat UTEP, I guess we'll probably remember for a very long time because I'm hoping that we don't have a come from behind, you know, where we're in a hole of more than 24 points at any point in the near future. Yeah. I mean, We thought 21 was going to be, you know, a lot to overcome from the Memphis game. And then this year to get to down 24 points, have to overcome that. Um, hopefully that's, that's the biggest point deficit we see.
1: I mean, I guess in this game... Y- like I said, there was still the, the sort of UTEP can now athlete anybody in Conference USA. Right. In um, Memphis last season was a little different because Memphis made mistakes, uh, and I don't know that I could say that UTEP made a lot of mistakes. Like UTEP had to play the game of their life for them to actually get up twenty four points on us. Right. Whereas Memphis didn't feel like they had to. Like mm-hmm. you know, they're a pretty good team, and I, th- I think was just the first shot at oh, this is what playing in the AAC, uh, like a mid-tier AAC team is going to be like. So we need to match that type of speed. We need to match that type of execution. Utah, yeah, <laughs> I'll leave him alone.
0: <laughs> well, going into the season, the other question we really had was, you know, could we get out of our out-of-conference schedule without sustaining significant injuries? And unfortunately that did not turn out to be the case um after that texas game i think we had already sustained 21 injuries to that point in the season um from that game previous games you know fall camp so um you know injuries really turned out to be kind of the the discussion point of the season for utsa you know for
1: everybody that and when I say everybody, for those UTSA fans that are like, you know, oh, UTSA can make it into Big 12 and can hang with Big 12, I, I, I don't think so. Not yet. Um, there's still a lot of team building that needs to occur. But, I mean, Trailer essentially had to wave the white flag against Texas because of the fact that so many guys were going down. And, you know, going back to what you just said, that was the fear going into the Texas game mm. was how many guys are going to get hurt. More importantly, is it going to happen on the line, and how does that affect Frank? Because the last thing you want to do is face a Big 12 team, no matter who it is, a Big 12 team without like a decent protection for Frank, because that means that Frank's health is now in danger, too. I mean, he waved the white flag because he knew, if I don't do it now, we're going to lose the season because Frank's going to get hurt. So, yeah, definitely disappointing, but... I mean, I, I think it was, they got through it, so yeah. <laughs> I guess that's all that matters.
0: I mean, it just, we have really um, achieved that next man up, you know, mentality time and time and time again. They had
1: again. to. I mean, they just have to. <laughs>
0: and, and at some point, we just hope that that, we can, we can get through a healthy season, but we'll, we'll talk about next year's out of conference schedule in a little bit. Okay so what we got wrong well there was plenty but fortunately the things that we got wrong you know i'm, I'm glad to say that we got wrong for example our prediction our, our first early prediction of the season you had seven and five and i had eight and four for the the season then you know we got a little more optimistic after we saw you know how things we got more optimistic after we kind of saw things how how they shook out with Conference USA and some of the teams leave, leaving and coaches leaving, um, and then in the fall we were both really at a nine and three season, ten and four with um, winning a bowl and championship game. So a little bit off, you know, ten and four was where we were. Ultimately, we ended up eleven and three, but happy to be wrong about that.
1: Well, again, we, we really thought that we are going to lose a game in Conference USA that we shouldn't lose. And it almost came true at the end of the season against right. UTEP. Um, and there was obviously other games where we thought we might lose as well in terms of... Really, UAB, I think, is the one that we wanted to point yeah. to because they were the ones that were kind of... They are a good team in Conference USA, and they were the team that was supposed to challenge UTSA for Conference Supremacy. So it was surprising that when they started kind of falling apart, and really it was their loss of their quarterback that kind of prompted their downfall. But for Mm -hmm. the most part, like, was there anybody else in Conference USA that was really going to challenge UTSA? No. They were going to have fun trying, but they weren't going to actually get it done. But um, I really thought there was, I really thought that we were going to run over UAB and it just, you know, we had, they came back and we kind of fell apart.
0: (laughs) One of our other overtime games. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, You know, coming back and doing the site review is just kind of interesting because you know as you start talking through things you start realizing wow there was there was a there was a hold your breath moment there there was another hold your breath moment there and it's like you want to romanticize it oh we really blew through conference usa we didn't and you know that in the back of your mind but you still felt like there should have been a little bit more of a cushion between utsa and the rest of conference usa
0: right you know we also thought we were going to see less 12 personnel this season but with all of the injuries on the offensive line, that just wasn't possible.
1: Well, Mackay Hart goes down, like what, in the sixth play of the game um, against Houston? So that was one of the things we brought up during the position review, which was offensive line health. It was, you know, can they stay healthy, and are they actually pretty good? I mean, I think they're they're a fine group, but Mackay Hart going down six plays into it, started challenging that mm-hmm. depth. And then you play essentially a lot of your non-conference schedule and c- certainly some of the early conference schedule with your third string walk-on offensive tackle. That's a credit to the coaching staff to get them ready. But most importantly, it's the lack of, I would say, talent that went up against us that they couldn't take advantage of that. Right. The, the scheming took that, you know, really changed that. And it took the tight ends really essentially staying in to help block. So once we started seeing actually the offensive line get healthy by the end of the year, especially, you know, against, you know, Troy and, you know, I would say later in the second half of the season, you got to see Oscar go out for more uh, pass routes. You started seeing Dan Dishman kind of taking some, you know, getting some more opportunities to uh, go out for some pass catching uh, routes. So it really changed the way this offense could roll. And I think, Shows a little bit more of what trailer really wants to be shown on a week-to-week basis.
0: All right, well, let's dig in to the offense a little bit since we're on the topic of the offensive line. And
1: Well, I mean, I, I think the, the most surprising thing, again, was Frankie Martinez having to play. You know, obviously, you know, he steps up at a moment when maybe he could have faltered. Um, but he also got helped out by his team, and none of them really flinched. And I think that was the... I think to me that was huge for this team is that Frank didn't seem at all bothered by the fact that Frankie Martinez is guarding his blind side. He could have been affected by it and been worried about it more than, right. you know, and really kind of had issues dealing with it during games. But, you know, and maybe I'm romanticizing it, but it felt like he just played same old frank right and, and, and at a high at the highest level of what frank can do so you know that that's that takes a special player to do that but also a special leader you know and again i think we've i've talked about plenty of times about just how great of a leader frank harris is and i think this showed it but then to have essentially a defense alignment <laughs> during the season switch to become an offensive tackle and then play at a very high level again right. walker Beatty. You know this team again you've talked about the adversity but I think it's just I think a lot of it has to do with trailer but I think for me as I'm realizing it more and more is that a lot of it has to do with Frank Harris too I think it's his belief in his teammates and in the way he handles offense and the Mm -hmm. way he I think just leads in general that I think that that's that's why these guys come in and they just fill the roles
0: right on the running back side, you know, we we spent a lot of time talking in the offseason about depth at the running back position. What was that going to look like? You know, we were feeling really good at the beginning of the year with Brendan Brady and Traylon Smith coming in. Little did we know that we would have, you know, injuries with Traylon um, and, and not really get to see all of his talent. Um, you know, Brendan Brady really took the bulk of the carries, through the first part of the season and then all of a sudden Kavorian Barnes kind of came out of nowhere and ends up with you know just really an absolutely stellar season
1: he absolutely did and you know that was the mm-hmm. thing is that you talked about we began the season with Brendan and Trelon neither of which we saw by the last game by the last two games of the season and that's just incredible is the fact that how did we get through it? And it was really a testament to Gavorian being able to step in and really pass block well, which he did, and really inject uh, this spark plug into this right. offense that I guess I would say that neither Trelon nor Brendan Brady possessed. I mean, right. he's physical. We've talked about it many times on our podcast episodes about how physical he is. But that speed and that jolt that he has it's just different yeah and you know I think that's just going to be exciting to see what he can do over the next few seasons
0: and as long as somebody reminds him that his job is not to tackle when he's carrying the ball (laughs) um, and teaches him how to hurdle defenders instead of you know smacking them, you know I think he's going to have a, a pretty impressive career and and who knows he could go down in history as one of our best running backs
1: I mean, he's already beginning to etch his name as one of the best running backs in school history just with this one season alone because there was a plenty of special moments in, against plenty of pretty good teams. So, I mean, Troy's a very good defense and he had a very good game against Troy. So, you know, it's not, it wasn't just against, you know, putting up, you know, 300 yards against Rice or 300 yards against, you know, some of the worst teams in Conference USA. It was, he stepped up big during, against good teams. Right. Let's talk about the wide receivers' tight ends. I mean, I don't think there's really a lot to say here aside from they were exactly what we thought they were going to be.
0: Absolutely. You know,
1: you've got Oscar in the Big Three, the four main pass-catching threats, and that's exactly what they were. They were dangerous, they were terrific, and they were almost always on sync with Frank whenever he needed it. Whenever Frank was, you know, needed somebody to bail him out, all four of those guys stepped up at some point during the season. So let's... Take us now to the quarterbacks. And really there's not much to talk about here aside from, you know, really just saying that A, Frank is back. And two, he just had another stellar season. I mean, I, I think this is the this is the level that I think people thought he was at two, maybe even three years ago, but he was nowhere near that. He still needed to get stronger. He still needed to really trust his blockers. And I said earlier that, you know, he seems to inject this kind of leadership and confidence in his linemen. And last season, after the bowl game, I kept saying, I want to see Frank being able to be in the pocket and be able to really pass from the pocket because we'll see a better Frank Harris from that. And I thought we did. Mm -hmm. I thought there was more, he was in the pocket more, he didn't have to roll out a lot. And I thought he really showed just how how much of a progression he's made in terms of uh, his level at quarterback. And because of it, you also saw some much better passes from him. A lot of times, I would say, even in 2021, there were times that you know he would kind of start moving around and he would bail out on the play and he would just try to throw it downfield and he wouldn't have a lot to it. This season was different. He would step up in the pocket and he would just unleash and you'd be like, all right, now he gets it. Now he understands what, if he had known two seasons ago, you know, this could have gone to a different level. I'm not going to criticize him for that. I'm actually going to be saying, <laughs> applaud him more for he realized what those deficiencies were two years ago, and now look where he's at. Right. I mean, he's just incredible. So, you want to take us to the defense?
0: Yeah, I mean, the defensive line was one of the um, position groups at the beginning of the season that we said we had the least questions about, and turned out that was right. Um, You know, we definitely saw stellar play from the defensive line throughout the season. Joe Evans was an amazing addition to the team.
1: Quiet, quiet guy, but just just so solid. Like, we missed him when he got injured. Right. Um, And... You know, but one guy that, of course, I have a soft spot for and that we will miss for next season is yep. Lamont McDougal. Absolutely. Fiery dude. He's got the freaking goggles that I love that he plays with. But, man, he, him and Joe Evans were just so solid in their positions. And that's not to diminish anything any of the other defensive linemen did. It's just these guys were just consistently good. Right. We can't forget about talking about Nick Booker-Brown, too, I'm, a Guy that kind of popped out of nowhere, right? A walk on, yeah. <laughs> and,
0: Hopefully, he gets a scholarship over the off-season. Certainly, definitely, you know, certainly deserves that,
1: yeah. I mean, and, and he has been so stellar, I'd say, in terms of being uh, more of a dynamic threat on the defensive line. Um, but that kind of brings us to the linebackers where we saw, I would say, the usual Ligan Harmanson duo in the middle. But we were always, we were wondering what's going to happen on the outside. Right. We knew da- Da'Drian was going to be there. So we were like, okay, well, we should be all right there. But who steps up in the, you know, the Clarence Hicks role? i yeah. give you Trey Moore.
0: I mean, it was just amazing to see the emergence of Trey Moore this season.
1: You know, and, and he's a, essentially a hometown boy, which makes it even that much better. Like, you hear Trailer talk about how he wants to keep all these guys here. And I, I get it. And there's you know we've also we'll talk about the fact that there's you know players that don't want to stay home right mm-hmm. like they're just not they just don't want to stay home they just they want to go somewhere else for college the fact that we're able to luck out and get trey moore and then able to utilize him in a role that just shows how outstanding he is again trey moore Kevorian barnes there's some players coming in they're gonna be fun to watch over the next few seasons
0: yeah, one of the positions we had a question mark at going into the season was quarterback, knowing that we were, you know, bringing in some guys from the transfer portal, but Nick Troy Fortune turned out to be as advertised, and of course Corey Mayfield. You know, we knew that he was great; we knew he'd have a great season, but you know, really between those two, I think we we definitely had a very solid um, position group there.
1: Yeah, and I think that's more than anything that helped the pass rush because the pass rush in the beginning of the season wasn't getting there. Uh and and really it was because you're playing some better teams. In the second half of the season you didn't play as good of a team. So, you know, the pass rush really I think blossomed at that point. Nick Choi and Corey really did just a fantastic job and I I would really just want to point out more of Corey just just where he started from, just getting like feeling like yeah. he's always getting burned back in 2019 and to see to see us watch him come into this season, not really too worried. I kept thinking, like, I mean, Corey mayfields he's hes the guy. He, he's just been so steady. And, I mean, he was just that and more this season. When we needed a big play, there were times where Corey Mayfield was right in the mix. And that was, I think, the weird part was, you know, looking for that opportunity. It's like, how can we get Corey Mayfield to make a play here? Because we need something big.
0: Yeah, you know, I thought one of the interesting moments for Corey this season was when he made the comment about um, how one of the coaches at UAB had complimented him after the game from, you know, having criticized Corey apparently the first time that we played UAB, Corey's freshman year or redshirt freshman year, to the point where, you know, this coach really felt the need to come over and really compliment him on his growth and development. And then, you know, he ends the season with the single season school record for 16 passes defended, so.
1: I don't know why teams thought they could just throw on Corey, uh, but they tried, and they weren't always successful. So, you know, I think think we, we loved what we saw out of Detroit Fortune and Corey Mayfield. You know, both, I think, played well. Corey obviously having, I think, a bigger season. The safety zone... Had a question mark once Rashad went down. Rashad yeah. goes down, mm-hmm. and their question is, who's going to step up? And your boy Kelechi, I thought, had a good rest of the season once mm-hmm. he took over for, I'd say, once he took over for Rashad, and then I think really realized his role. I thought he really complimented Cliver Chapman well.
0: Yeah, and I think Cliver Chapman had the season that we were expecting him to have after. Rashad went down. It was like that was the expectation that we had for Clifford. This uh, when we signed him, and we just hadn't really seen that level of play from him.
1: Some of that, I mean, obviously, again, like I said before, was you know you played some weaker teams in the second half. But the other part is just because you play the weaker teams doesn't mean that you have to play down to that level. And right. Clifford certainly upped his play. And and I think just it was really sort of you know like I said at one point he was like the sheriff back there, and him and Kalechi were really. And I thought really did a great job in the back back end of the secondary. And, you know, obviously they had their mistakes, but this is a tough time to be playing essentially secondary in college right. football. Any touch of a wide receiver and you're essentially going to get flagged for something. Right. So, you know, I thought these guys were terrific. Um, and, you know, obviously you have Rashad coming back at some point, but there's also some young guys that are coming up and, you know, Hopefully they get in the mix, and we'll be talking about them about this time next season.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about special teams. Again, we we already talked about all of the records that they broke at the beginning, but, again, just a really consistent season from special teams. Um, I think overall we had questions at the beginning of the season about Burke and his leadership, you know, over as a special teams coordinator, but by the end of the season I felt like special teams was really – where we needed it to be and we weren't having those big issues on kick coverage we were seeing you know again always consistency from from Lucas Dean but Sackett really seemed to kind of come into his own at the end of the season and then we didn't have to worry about ball handling on our punt returns and our kickoff returns this season like we have in the past.
1: It was steady. It was, I mean, yeah. absolutely steady. I don't think we fumbled at all this season on any sort of kick return. So, yeah, absolutely huge. But I think it was just the change of getting Josh Cephas back there, getting Chris Carpenter back there, and just having guys that are used to essentially, you know, handling the ball and, and being really good at it. I thought Deidre and Taylor was going to be back there a little bit more, but, you know, it turned out these, these two guys were the guys, and Chris Carpenter essentially became the returner right. by the end of the season. and. Great experience for him. Great chance for him to show what he can do in a UTSA road under uniform.
0: You want to talk about coaching?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, look, uh, you know, you have to talk about the fact that, you know, this had to be probably Trailer's best coaching job since he's been here. You know, because of all of the adversity, all of the injuries, yeah. everything that they navigated. I mean, it, you could call out mathematics and other coach trailer for the offensive line uh, work that they did throughout the year. Um, You know, again, I've already lauded Frank Harris for what he did um, in terms of his leadership. And, you know, I think that has had part of it to do with, along with the coaching and them having players ready. Um, You know, obviously I criticized just left during the middle of the season and said, you know, should we move on? I think, you know, there's some other questions we're going to have about him a little bit later, but, you know, honestly, I, I thought that, Coaching staff did what they needed to do and you know they just had the players ready to play. Um, and it's easy to say over and over, next man up, next man up. You hear it from every single team in college football. But I'd say that what this coaching staff really did well was making sure that those guys were prepared. And that's why it was like I understand UTC fans getting a little antsy about like, oh man you know, we're going to have this guy in now. Oh man, we're going to have this guy. But the coaching staff has always had them prepared and it just, you know, you've talked about this being like the good old days, like, Mm -hmm. you know, before the, it becomes like tough days, right? These are the good old days with our coaching staff as well, because this group of coaches has these guys in a, it really put them in a position to succeed. And that's all you really ask for them. And I mean, the record shows it again just for itself. I mean, we could obviously nitpick a little bit more on coaching, but I mean, do you have anything that you think that you would want to nitpick or you want to at least shout out for any of the coaches?
0: No, I mean, I think, again, it's a testament to our coaching staff that once again, we have P5 programs coming and looking at our coaching staff. You know, unfortunately we lost Will Stein, but, you know, that's what happens when you have a really great, you know, coaching staff and a young coaching staff in a lot of these key positions you're going to see them you know move on to bigger and better jobs and you know it's unfortunate for us as utsa fans but it overall means that our program is heading in the right direction and that trailer is you know identifying the right talent
1: i think that's the key there the last thing you said is him identifying the right coaches at for the right moment and. You know, as, as much as we can criticize some of these coaches for some of the stuff they do, let's be honest, I mean... You
0: can criticize any coach yeah. for
1: anything, you know? <laughs> so, um, I think we're done here in terms of uh, the recap.
0: Yeah, I think, again, what you said a few minutes ago, have got to remember this and reflect on it as we look back on the season. We are in the good old days. You know, we're going to start talking about 2023 and the AAC, and, and the road's going to get a little bit harder, so enjoy the second special season that we had. Let's turn our sights now to 2023 and talk about who we think we're going to have on the roster for next year. Okay. So it looks like we may have as many as 15 super seniors. The ones that we know about or that are confirmed, if you will, either because they didn't take part in senior day or they announced that they were coming back um, we have nine that are confirmed. Trumain Bell, Josh Cephas, JT Clark, Nick Troy Fortune, Frank Harris, of course, Makai Hart, Brandon Matterson, Tyke Ogle-Kellogg, and Rashad. And then we have six more that we haven't heard that they're leaving, so I'm just going to say I'm assuming that they're coming back. Um, Ernesto Almaraz, Lucas Dean, Zachary Franklin, Kalechi Wachiku, um, Kyle Wakefield, and Cameron Wilkins. Again, some of those guys may be leaving, just haven't said anything, or you know, um, perhaps based on their role, they might not come back. But the, you know, we kind of assume those are going to be the 15 super seniors we have. In the transfer portal right now, we have Ty Edwards. Not a surprise. I mean, I think we expected him to go in the, the transfer portal. Right. Xavier Player. Um, Cade Holt, I'd expect to see some more as we kind of free up some roster space over either the next couple of weeks or certainly by the end of the spring season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think there's some other guys that are probably going to find out from the coaching staff, hey, you're not going to get this amount of playing time, so here's what we want you guys, you know, essentially, I don't want to say push them out, but (laughs) at the very would say, you know, if you want to stay here, great, but, you know, here's what your outlook looks like.
0: Right. Um, we had early signing day um, recently. We actually signed more people in this early signing day than I think we really anticipated to see. There were quite a few um, players signed in the early signing period. Right now, we're sitting at the top G five class, um, and six of the top um, six of UTSA's top ten recruits are in this class. Um, so, just a couple of notable names. We'll come back and talk about signing day in February, but a few names to keep your eye on. Owen McCown, quarterback, transfer from Colorado. Former NFL quarterback Josh McCown's son. He left Colorado after the coaching change. Um, Left-handed, very similar to Frank. Um, Someone that, you know, People anticipated might have signed last year, um, but instead went to Colorado. Um, so it'll be interesting to see him on the roster next year and see if we get some get to see him in some reps. Yeah. Um, we also have Jackson Gilkey, who is the highest rated quarterback UTSA has signed out of high school. Cam Alexander is um, a cornerback transfer from Sam Houston State. So he's someone that we should see in the mix for some playing time. Perhaps um, to replace Corey Mayfield, um, and then our highest recruit in this class overall. I'm probably going to pronounce his name wrong. Um, Daniel Oganopi. He's an offensive tackle from JUCO out of Iowa Central Community College. Um, again, he's our highest re- highest rated overall recruit in program history. Originally signed with Old Dominion, and then um, went to JUCO route. Um, be interesting to see you know if he's in the mix at the beginning of the season.
1: I mean I think with any of these offensive linemen you might as well put him in the mix and just let those battles kind of play out and really I think give Frank a chance to figure out who he's also comfortable with being in, in that starting lineup.
0: Yeah there are a number of um, running backs that were signed in the class as well. Um, a transfer out of Vanderbilt so you know it looks like they really put a lot of focus on trying to build up some more depth at that position, because obviously we we thought we had depth this year and didn't end up happening. Um, But I think the one position we're all still kind of waiting to see um, signed is the safety position.
1: Certainly, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting that we still haven't signed anybody, Um, but you know, maybe there's some things in the works that, you know, obviously they haven't been able to get commitments yet, but at least good to see that these that, you know, some of the other positions that where we were hurting at and where we were gonna need some more players are getting filled.
0: Yeah. I mean I would expect to see somebody from the transfer portal for safety, I'm assuming, to replace Clifford Chapman. I mean, if you look at, you know, Colecci potentially coming back to back up Rashad, you know, Kalechi and Rashad really play that same free safety position. Or is it strong it's not safety. Yeah. <laughs> They, they both play the, the strong safety, always get those match, uh, mixed up. So we're going to need somebody, you know, to play the free safety, and I'm not sure whether or not Clutchy would really be able to kind of step into that role. I would anticipate that they'd see maybe bringing in someone else, um, you know, with some playing experience. But Agreed. And then since signing day, we've, we've signed another Juco wide receiver, so it seems like our wide receiver room is going to be pretty strong too. But again, when we come back... In February, we can kind of recap all of these positions and know for sure what our roster is going to look, or a little more closely what our roster is going to look like.
1: Absolutely. All right. This brings us to our uh, our, our fun, way too early type of uh, questions for 2023. We call them the yeah, peto questions. First one is, how do we compete against bigger, stronger, faster AAC teams? For me, I think competing is the easy part, and I think we would also want to define what competing means. Um, but I think it's just going to be a little bit more difficult, in my opinion, especially in the AAC. Some of it, I don't think is going to be as difficult because you're bringing so many Conference USA teams into AAC. There has been some, you know, coaching changes, but I don't think that those coaching changes will really affect where that those rosters are at this point, anyway. I just think that there's got to be something a little different that has to happen in order for UTSA to essentially stay at the top of AAC. I don't know that they're there yet, but, you know, again, it's way too early. There's, you know, there's other teams in AAC that are staying that um, still have some sort of roster kind of shakeups as well. So it's going to be kind of interesting as we go through. Any thoughts on your end?
0: I mean, hands down, Tulane is going to be the favorite going into the AAC for 2023. And, you know, just watching them and how they compete, you know, I, I do think that it's going to be a challenge for UTSA. I mean, we're not going to be able to, as you've said before, out athlete, you know, Tulane and just come in and expect to win. Um, It's going to be more of a dogfight. We're going to have to be smarter um, in how we play them. We're going to have to make sure that we execute really well. So, you know, again, With a large part of the AAC coming from Conference USA, you know, we can kind of assume that we'll be really competitive with that group. It's going to be, you know, how do we look at Tulane? How do we look at East Carolina? You know, those are going to be the schools where, you know, we're not we shouldn't expect to walk into the AAC and be competing for the championship game.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to like kind of consider Going in there, it's just, especially with UTSA fans, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be something that they'll have patience with. Right. So let's move to this. How does Justin Burke step up and handle play calling?
0: You know, I think he did fine against the Troy, um, or in the, the bowl against Troy. But, you know, certainly I think he's got, you know, a learning curve. Um, that we're going to need him to kind of close the gap, be a little bit more creative, make sure that he's putting Frank into good positions because I'm sure with our out-of-conference schedule next season, we're going to be facing a lot of the same issues that we did this year in terms of injuries. You know, we're replacing Texas with Tennessee. We still have Army and Houston from last season. And, you know, Texas State... Maybe better than Texas Southern, depending on, you know, how that turnaround has gone. But I mean, I think it's going to be a very similar scenario going into 2023. And, you know, we need to hopefully work out some of those kinks before the first game. But we also have some other, you know, positions that still need to be filled. We don't have a special teams coordinator. So we could see some similar issues to what we experienced in the Houston game.
1: Fair point. Now I'll add that Just Lapp should be thrown in here as well because he's going to have to step up his play calling. You know, one of the things that stood out to me about this defense throughout the entire season and even before then was the fact that Clifford Chapman at the beginning of, you know, this season said, "This is a pretty easy defense." You know, it's it's
0: easy to learn. Yeah, yeah,
1: pretty easy to learn. There's going to probably have to be some more complexities because you're going to have to fool these quarterbacks a little differently. So I think. That more than anything is what you know Justin Burke is going to be doing on the offensive side, even providing a little bit more nuance, coaching is going to matter a little bit more. And I think to me that there's going to be renewed aggravation with our coordinators. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think there's really been as much ag- aggravation, um, you know, on both sides of the ball these last two seasons. Um, I think that it's going to happen though going into AAC because I think, again, to your point, there's some other teams in there that are like Tulane, that play a little bit differently, and there's going to have to be something different that we have to add. Really, I think, into the mix to kind of give us a chance at winning.
0: And you would expect that we should be able to do that on the offensive side because we are returning so many starters again. I mean, we will be a veteran team once again, especially on the offense.
1: Right. It's going to be the defense where I think, again, there's going to be a little bit more I think question marks mm-hmm. just because um, you know the the speeds a little bit different in AAC. It's there, there's yeah. definitely much many more burners in the AAC than there are as opposed to Conference USA, which now leads us to I think the I think the question that kind of plays into this one as well. Can we take a step to the next level and beat a ranked opponent slash win a bowl game?
0: Yeah, I mean that we've faced these ranked opponents either. Very early in the season, or at the very end of the season in a bowl game, we haven't really seen that in the middle. You know, there's a likelihood that when we face Tulane in the middle of the season, whenever that, whenever we play them, because we don't know where our schedule is, they could be ranked based on how they're playing at the end of this year. So this isn't going to be kind of that anomaly of oh well we have a really hard out of conference Tennessee. And then, oh, you know, we just won the championship. You know, are we really hyped up enough to play this bowl game? I mean, we're going to start seeing teams in the middle of the season, potentially that are ranked, and I think it's it's going to be a challenge for UTSA. We have the talent to do it, um, but again, it's going to take executing at a very high level, um, not making mistakes, and doing something a little bit different really and on play calling on both sides of the ball
1: yeah i don't think we're there yet and i know that you know it's not really i think too early to say that i I think we're just this team isn't there yet it's it's struggled against ranked teams they've teased they've been able to quote unquote compete by like staying within a touchdown slash you know whatever kind of margin you want to put on there but to your point there's a sense of nuance, and I kind of brought this up during the bowl game, you know, after we kind of broke that down. There's a nuance that needs to come in here, and that's coaching. You know, how do you make those plays to beat a ranked opponent? Mm-hmm. We can be fun and be that little upstart for a while, which we have been, I think, since 2020. Uh, you can make a case of going all the way back to, it's you know, UTSA football's inception in 2011. But at some point, if you really want to be... A quote unquote g5 heavyweight slash being on the cusp of p5 like you know um coach trailer has kind of alluded to you're going to have to win these games and you're going to have to do them consistently you just haven't been able to do them yet so what's it going to take to get there and i think it's going to take coaching and it's going to take I, I think the players being much more disciplined and a lot of what you said i think rings true com- absolutely true but you know i i I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that, that it's necessarily coming sooner rather than later. I still think that that's maybe a season down the road, and I, that could sound very uh, – I'm sure it's going to sound quite negative, but I, I just don't – based on what we've seen in the last few bowl games, what we've seen, you know, in non-conference and since 2020, I just don't know that – I think the narrative is still – we're not there yet.
0: One of my question marks for the season is not obviously who's – QB1, we know that's Frank, but... Is he? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's who is QB2. You know, with Owen McCown coming in now, you know, he's going to challenge Eddie Lee for that position. You know, last year we kind of talked about this, you know, battle, alleged battle between Cam Peters and Eddie Lee. It seems like Eddie Lee was really the clear qb2 between those two um regardless of what trailer said but i think we'll definitely see a battle for qb2 now between you know owen and eddie lee
1: i mean owen fits in naturally because as you said he's left-handed um so you know i think that there is something to that i guess the question is going to be what kind of dynamics does he show out there and Mm -hmm. i'm not sure when he's going to enroll if he does enroll like for the spring then we'll be able to see him in the spring game and we'll be able to give you a better look at it and say okay yeah there's some pop off that hand you know it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot like eddie lee that you know the ball really flies off but he's not and there's gonna be plenty of he's not frank because mm-hmm. frank's different right <laughs> what frank lacks in some sort of some of his passing acumen he obviously is has in his running ability and is just different with his pocket presence right so you know that, I think, is going to be interesting kind of heading and, and looking at these backup quarterbacks. Obviously, I think Eddie Lee's going to have the head start because he's been in the system now for a couple of seasons. So, you know, he's he knows what this all entails. And, you know, right. obviously, whatever Burke kind of adds a twist to, it still still not going to differ too much from the base plays they had in the bowl games you know, had throughout the seasons. But how does Owen kind of adapt to that? So your thoughts?
0: I think the advantage that Owen will have going in is the fact that he's had three starts, you know, against Pac-12 teams. Um, He played in four games this season. Three of them were starts. So you know, that kind of experience is going to give him an advantage. Again, it's a different system. It's a different play caller. um, But that could, you know, elevate him in his game. So I I think it's going to be really interesting to see what, you know, how those two compete with each other and hopefully it'll make both of them better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think they will completely be better. It's just a question of who's going to actually get the, is it going to be a, you know, this guy is the backup or is it going Mm -hmm. to be a, and, or, or, you know, yeah. that sort of designation. That'll be the fun part.
0: This really should be Frank's last season. So one of these <laughs> two should be the heir apparent. I mean, we've seen, you know, some, I can't think of the guy's name, but one of these kids is getting a ninth year of eligibility. So I guess we could see an eighth year for Frank, but more than likely that's not going to be the <laughs> heir
1: weirder things have happened. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Before we go, let's talk about UTSA basketball. The men dropped their first three conference games to North Texas, Louisiana Tech, and UAB. Not really a great start. No, not at all. Um, They had a chance against North Texas, although when you look at the score, you may not think that. But, I mean, they got within one point and then just absolutely went cold and struggled the the rest of the second half. (laughs)
1: it's the wash rinse repeat type of thing that you've seen over and over with these, this UTSA team for a while under Henson. And I think that's unfortunately what could lead to, obviously it's going to, I think we're all expecting a change. Um, you know, obviously I don't think it has anything to do with Henson as a person. Obviously yeah. we've heard so many great stories about him as a person, but you know, you don't just keep good people around you. you they've got to also perform and, you know, things just aren't happening on the on the men's side of the court. Um, and going into AAC, there's going to need to be a jolt. There's going to need to be a different type of excitement. And it can't just come from opponents, you know, kicking our butts. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, that's obviously disappointing. But, you know, we'll move on.
0: Um, on the women's side, we're now 1-1 and in conference play. Again, you know, if you look at their record, they've only won three games. But they've been competitive in all of these games and they've had a shot to win Uh, they should have beat louisiana tech but they just went cold at the wrong time in the fourth quarter missed a lot of easy layups and shots in the paint and kira was just off all night but they came back and pulled off a victory against uab in large part by the spark that um, one of the freshmen sienna offered off of the bench
1: it was two freshmen actually. Sienna came off the bench and started that spark and was really who could do a whole pot in this, but <laughs> she came off the bench and hit those threes, but then was moving around so much and, you know, kind of chasing down these balls, really hustling both an offense and defense. She caused havoc when she went on the court. But Sydney Love, our true freshman, usually she starts games, but mm-hmm. this one she came off the bench she was terrific. Jordan Jenkins was saddled with foul trouble throughout the game. I don't think she played very many minutes. I mean, it could be in the I I think it's in the teens, but regardless, Sydney Love was just fantastic. Kira White, again, was off. Just. Kira brings a lot to the table. Um and a lot of it's mostly I would say most of it is playmaking. But what Sydney Love did, you know, hit some big shots, hit some big threes, and then at the very end of the game, um, she blocks uh, the what was going to be, I think the game, may have been the game um, tying shot, it could have just been, you know, a regular jumper, but she was crucial throughout the game. I thought she was, you know, had her moments when she had a couple downs, when, you know, she she made some mistakes, but she kept her head up, and You know, with freshmen, you're going to have those kind of peaks and valleys. Mm -hmm. But what I thought with her was that she had a much more consistent performance. And I think because of that, UTSA got through, got past getting into one of those dry spells like they did against LaTeX. LaTeX, I think, was really frustrating because they they really did hit a point where it was like nobody was really cutting to the basket. Nobody was really moving too much. And because of it, it became so easy to defend them that they were just kind of jacking up shots. And against uab things were a little bit different and you know again they got hot from three-point land something that i wish the guys could do
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely um i mean again i feel even though the record doesn't reflect it i do feel like the women are moving in the right direction um next opportunity to see them they play on thursday january 5th at 6 p.m against middle tennessee um so hopefully we can you know, use this win against UAB as kind of a spark to uh, have some more conference wins this season.
1: They're getting there. They're getting there. I I think you're going to start seeing more of a a rise from this uh, women's team, much like the soccer team, where it took a couple seasons, a few seasons to kind of get going. And now they're going to become some players in that AAC level.
0: Kind of in some other news with some former UTSA football players, um, Dadrian Taylor announced that he accepted an invite to the Tropical Bowl. That game will be played on January 21st, Um, so hopefully he has a a good game, and that will help kind of propel his NFL draft stock. Uh, Tariq Woolen made history as the first UTSA roadrunner to make a Pro Bowl team, and as a rookie. Pretty impressive, so um, we'll see him in the Pro Bowl game on February 5th
1: lots of people are really raving about Tariq, just his growth. I mean, I we've been gushing about him just about all season, but it's just fun to just see him finally really put everything together and able to stay healthy and show all his talent. I think that's been the, the biggest key for him is that health.
0: Yeah. I mean, the Seahawks are still kind of in the mix for the playoffs, but We'll definitely get to see Spencer Burford in the 49ers. Um, Brock
1: Purdy, and Brock Purdy, <laughs> a former Roadrunner, but a former Iowa State guy. Yeah. You know, I gotta say, it is
0: it is nice to see Brock Purdy and Spencer Burford out there together. There was a nice clip where they were asking Brock about Spencer. Um, so it was kind of cool to see. You know, these two teams that I've watched, Iowa State growing up, and then you know, obviously, I'm a Roadrunner. You know, get to see these guys um, as rookies out there. You know, playing very well and you know, looking for a playoff run. Clarence Hicks also announced that he was drafted by the XFL's Seattle Sea Dragons as an inside linebacker in their supplemental draft. Earlier, um, in an earlier draft, Hunter Duplessis was picked up by the Houston Roughnecks. So we'll have at least two roadrunners in the XFL season that kicks off on February 18th. So. Lots of opportunities to continue to see these Roadrunners in the postseason. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for joining us on the Hail Mary podcast. I'm Atos,
1: And I'm the Toves.
0: We'll be back soon with some more basketball coverage. Hopefully, we'll have some good news for our conference play for you.
1: Well, from the women's side, right? Birds <laughs> Birds out. <laughs>